Hi guys, welcome back to Crossroads Initiative Crossing Borders podcast. My name is Miriam Jalali and I will be your host today. This is the first episode of our second season based on the theme of our upcoming edition on dystopia and utopia, so we decided to interview a special someone with big dreams related to climate activism. So without further ado, I'll let our speaker introduce herself. Hey everyone, I am Mitzi Jonaltan, a climate justice activist based in Metro Manila, Philippines, and I am so, so happy to be here. Thank you so much, Crossroads Initiative, for having me. We're so excited to have you here. I'm really excited to get to learn more about you and your activism. So just starting off, where did your passion for environmental topics and climate activism overall stem from? I guess growing up, it's just something that has always been with me. Um, I'm not sure why really, but I've always been very passionate about the environment. And I also remember growing up with the typhoons happening the country a lot and there would be times where I would have to do my homework by the candlelight because there was no electricity because of the raging typhoon outside and sometimes the floods would just enter our home and I'd have to scoop flood water out of my room and then on the side of that I was kind of learning about the it wasn't the climate crisis really it's more of like climate change and carbon dioxide emissions and global warming but it wasn't empowering the way it was taught was very foreign and technical and westernized and alienating. Um, so I didn't really put two and two together that what I was experiencing in real life with the typhoons was also what I was learning about in school that I was caring about. It wasn't until much later on and I was able to talk to an indigenous leader of our land. And she was about how they were defending the environment and protecting their homes and how they were being harassed and killed and militarized and displaced all for doing that. Ever so simply, he shrugged and said, that's why we have no choice but to fight back. And then he kept going. And that simple phrase, that one phrase is what got to me because I realized it is just that simple. We have no choice but to fight back. And that's when I really decided actively that I will be an environmental activist, a climate activist. Wow, that's awesome. I feel like it's always just like more personal when you actually like experience it. Um, so like what age did you like start getting into like taking action steps against like climate change? I guess, technically, I it started around maybe eight or nine, but don't like don't make it seem like, oh, I'm an activist for eight <laughs> or nine. It was more of I did have like lung problems. So I I called primary complex and so I knew that smoke in general was bad for my my health um and then I learned in school that you know smoke cigarettes and and all this is contributing to global warming and the heating of the carbon dioxide and small brain side the hyper focus on smoking for some reason i will blame the way climate was taught to us for this of course but like because i already had that health problem and because i like how i learned it in school for some reason i thought smoking was a problem for everything and so i would go up to people and be like 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 strangers policemen like complete like I would just go up to people and tell them that what they were doing was bad for the for both of our health, for global warming and greenhouse gas emissions. And you know, I guess they always just like you 
I don't think I actually stopped anyone from smoking because like this small kid from nowhere just talks to you and like it's kind of weird. Um, but I guess technically that was the first time I started talking about the climate. But really, I would say the first time I actually started doing things was when I started um, when I joined an organization that that decided about the environment, like um, and 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 activities around that. So in 2017, we had March for Science, which is uh, which started in the U.S. because Donald Trump um, said, I think also in 2017, that climate change wasn't real. And then um, at some point, a few of us in the different environmental organizations who were um, coordinating that protest said, we need a climate organization, a youth climate organization. And that was also the global strike started happening. So we and, um, youth Advocates for Climate Action Philippines, which is basically the Fridays for Future of the Philippines, and then we started organizing global climate strikes and all the other things. Wow. Well, I feel like you're really brave for being like eight or nine and just going up to a bunch of people. Like, it gets you prepared for like socializing with other people and talking about issues that affect you. And now that we're on the topic of like your organizations and organizing, are there any current projects or organizations, advocacy groups, or just like anything else you're working on related to climate activism within your community in the Philippines or even globally? Yeah, so I am part of, um, again, Youth Advocates, long name, basically Yakap. Um, what we do here is raising awareness about the climate crisis. So that goes from you know, graphics online to, uh, you know, let's say without COVID, um, going to different schools to talk about the climate crisis, going to different communities to talk about the climate crisis, um, going to different, like, I would go from classroom to classroom to ask the teacher to give us five minutes of their time. Like during my breaks, I would do that to, so that we could talk about the climate crisis. Um, so that's a lot of what we do. And since the pandemic started, we also went into having to do relief operations for environmental defenders that um, had difficulties to, with economics because of the lockdowns. Um, we've also had some relief operations with um, the typhoons that hit us last year. And globally, something that we are working on, especially, and that bleeds into my local work also, is how there's this UK bank called Standard Chartered Bank that's um, funding. It's the biggest funder of coal companies in the Philippines and across the world. Um, it's one of the biggest. It's it's funding over 30. It's funding coal companies in over 30 countries, especially in countries like the Philippines, Indonesia, and India. Um, so it's funding Adani, all those big coal names like this is one of its main supporters and so we have a global campaign around that it's called clean up standard chartered and and we're really showing that you know fossil fuel industries are this menace and we don't target them because we don't want them to change we want them to stop existing so how do you do that you target those who support them so we tell governments to stop fossil fuel subsidies we're telling banks to you know stop funding them and stuff like that wow that's like just 
applause to you because I feel like so much work goes into organizing that people don't even see. And I feel like ed- that's why education is so important, just so people kind of like from a young age understand such impor- important issues like the climate crisis right now. Um, and I know you kind of touched on this in the last question, but did you or how have the current circumstances during COVID-19 impacted your work and how have you adapted to those changes like with the pandemic and everything? Yeah, it's been so difficult. I'm not going to lie. Like, we are such an in-person, on-ground organization, like Yakup. And then suddenly we have to do everything online. And we were just like, now what? <laughs> um, it, it took a lot of adjusting, especially in the beginning, like from the platform we were using, because we used to just be a messenger. And then we quickly realized in the online world that's not work. Um, so we had to change platforms. It even went to how do we stay creative and relevant? Because it's so easy to just scroll past something now because everything is online and people are so tired of being online, but also have to be online. So you have to make sure that the put the stuff you put on your social media, people feel like it's worth reading and putting time to. And that that is honestly the most difficult because it's like, how do we, and at some point, there was a time in the pandemic when we focused so much on the numbers of our social media, like followers, um, like engagement, reach, uh, likes. And, and, and when you start viewing social media like that as just numbers, it becomes very toxic. And so that was something that I personally had to really remind myself that there are people behind this. And, and I'm not just looking for numbers. I'm looking for people to organize through these numbers. It was it was a lot of reframing in my mind, I guess. And and but one of the really positive things that came out of having to live in an online world is that because so many of us youth climate strike groups across the world had to go online, we weren't as busy organizing physical events and on ground events, which could take up a lot of your time. And so we had a lot of opportunity to talk to each other, to coordinate with each other, to have campaigns together. And so the the community, like the Fridays for Future youth community is so much more united and strong now. And going out of the pandemic, when we are able to go out of the streets, I'm sure this is something that we're still going to bring with us. And so that's so exciting because now you have physical, we're strong, we were already strong physically. This pandemic taught us how to be strong online and had to connect to each other and be united. And so after the pandemic, I'm so excited for what's in store because there's so much that we've learned from this. And really, I think a lot of people have learned from the COVID-19 pandemic because if anything, this pandemic has exposed how our systems in a lot of countries across the globe is not prepared to take care and to handle any type of crisis. Sorry, my dogs. See, they're angry too. Um, um, especially the climate crisis. So you're seeing that our health systems are failing with COVID-19. And in the Philippines, when typhoons hit, who was impacted the most? Those already suffering and trying to cope with COVID-19. So they all really intersect. And I feel like more and more people saw that um, in the past year, how these it, all these issues intersect with one another and we're seeing the vaccine inequality happening and you're seeing how that bleeds into the crisis and how it can easily be like 
a reflection of what could happen in the future and what's already happening with the climate crisis. And so, um, in a way, it's very eye-opening for a lot of people. And so, um, again, it's just something that we can use to make it stronger. Yeah, definitely. I feel like the pandemic definitely opened a lot of people's eyes to issues going on. And yeah, it can't be easy having to adapt so quickly to like online and everything online, especially because organizing is such an in-person thing, like you said. And I like how you kind of talked about social media and how it kind of became toxic. And now that we're on that topic, if you're comfortable, would you be willing to share either any of your own or someone you know with personal struggles regarding mental health or dealing with pressures from just being an activist and being online overall? So with that being online, there's a lot of burnout in a lot of activist spaces um, and, and a lot of push to make sure we don't get burnt out. Um, just because everything is online and also with online school here in the Philippines, although I'm not studying anymore, um, a lot of our activists in, in the Philippines are really struggling with online school because it, it only exacerbated the existing inequalities that were already present before school went online. So teachers were left to um, design their own curriculum. So if your curriculum wasn't easily applicable to an online setting, then the like it, it's a it's a bad situation for teachers, it's a bad situation for students. Everyone's having a hard time. Everyone is struggling because nothing is happening with the COVID-19 um, response here in the Philippines. So everyone's like, the, there's a strong call from students to just stop school first because everyone is so tired because of the situation in the country, because of um, how online classes isn't accessible for so many, because of how online classes just grade everyone so much. Um, but there are there is a movement in the student movement that's pushing for um, actual concrete steps. It's not just like stop school, but like resolve the pandemic so we can go back to school. And there are like steps that are they're suggesting, and there are steps in the meantime to say that while we're waiting for that. Um, here's a way to make things more accessible, make things easier for people. And I think that's one of the difficulties in the Philippines also is that mental health is still kind of a big taboo here. Like, I'm someone who is already kind of like, in a way, like, I know that mental health is important, but I still brought myself to get checked up, even though I should have, like, from before. But I am much better when I, I used to have, like, really, really bad anxiety attacks. Um, but now, aside from, I don't really get anxiety attacks anymore because I really do prioritize taking care of my mental health. Just because the climate crisis is already so taxing, like climate anxiety is really something that faces, that a lot of climate, crisis, climate activists face because we know what's coming. And especially for countries like the Philippines, there's also a climate trauma so you know what's happened, you've felt what's happened, you've experienced what's happened, and then you know what's coming. And so it's just this mishmash of what now, because if world leaders in the global north, so it's not even in my country, because even if I get somehow, I get my country to stop emitting completely, that's just 0.4% of world emissions. So I have to get the countries 
in the global north to do it. And, and that's such a scary task. Um, but I guess what really, really helps is I do talk to climate psychologists, I talk to friends, and when there is distressing news, you have to let yourself grieve because there are, you know, there will be some people that will say that your climate anxiety is this anxiety over something that's irrational and stuff, but it isn't. It is a valid reaction to the climate crisis and the lack of action towards it. So you have to allow yourself to grieve sometimes, but also to pick yourself up and to remember that you're not alone in this. And that's something that really helps me, like just making sure that you remember that you literally have a global climate movement by your side. So, you know, when you feel alone, just remember that there, were, there, there is literally everyone on every continent, even Antarctica, fighting for climate justice. So that's something that really helps me. Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like that's such an important message because with the rise of activism this past year, so many people have been burnt out from like all the devastating news in like every country. So that's like such an inspiring message. And like, it was so beautiful to hear you talk about that. Um, do you have any advice to youth activists looking to spread their own messages and get more involved with work similar to what you do, but they kind of feel like their voice doesn't really matter? Just dive in. I know that's hard to say, um, but it starts with educating yourself, empowering yourself with education. And there's so many resources available online now, even on Instagram and stuff. But don't stick to Instagram. Let Instagram be like your first place to get sources um, and then research more from there. Um, but also don't, don't limit yourself to the education of like climate science, climate education shouldn't just be the scientific aspect of the climate crisis, but also the social aspect of the climate crisis. So that means talking to people who are experiencing the climate crisis, talking to people who are already climate activists, talking to intersectional activists, um, which is so important because that's something that can be easily left out if you only study the science and if you only study um, the graphs and stuff. So it's, it's really listen to the science and listen to the people, listen to the people most impacted by the climate crisis. Um, if you're able to have conversations with people in your community, it's usually the black, indigenous, and people of colors in even in the global north who are experiencing the, the environmental injustices. So if you're able to talk to them, then that is, um, amazing and that's something that you there is so much to learn from our frontline environmental defenders and there are also so many voices of activists in the global south that you can easily find online and and you can talk to or if not talk to them at least see their stories our stories and um hear our first-hand experiences from our perspective or uh, yeah yeah that's so true i feel like you gave some really good advice on like how to start researching and getting resources. And I feel like with getting involved with activism and stuff, there's so many expectations. So I just wanted to ask you your perspective. Did you have any expectation versus reality moments when you really started getting into climate justice work? No, yeah, for sure. I think you already mentioned one of them earlier where there's so much work that goes into organizing. Um, <laughs> I remember I, I took up a mathematics degree in university. 
And I remember thinking, oh, I'll be an activist. And that would mean I never have to look at all these giant Excel sheets with numbers and graphs and anything again. And I see myself barely a year later studying all the graphs and looking at Excel sheets and even looking at finance stuff because of climate finance and just like, uh, I thought I had an escape, but no. <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it's now that jokes aside, like it's it's never it's not just what you see on media and social media, like all the giant strikes, all the small strikes, all the media interviews and the speaking engagements. That's just I feel like that's one of the smallest parts of organizing. There's so much that happens behind the scenes. It's hours long of Zoom calls. It's it's comforting a friend when they're having climate anxiety. It's all of that coming together. And it it always seems like such glamorous work on the external side, but then you get into it and there are times when you will be burnt out. There will be times when you will be tired. And we that doesn't mean that you should work yourself so much that you get burnt out. But if you do get burnt out, do not blame yourself for that because it is tiring work. So be proactive in that and make sure that you put, you know, breaks throughout. Like I, I go as far as scheduling my breaks throughout my day and throughout my week. Um, but, you know, just make sure that you pace yourself because it is tiring. And sometimes you're the only one who's passionate enough to work on something and no one else will help you. And it will seem like you're alone, but remember that you're not. And, and that's really like one of my main things. Like it seems so glamorous online, but it there's it is tiring. It is sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's boring. Um, but a lot of time it's really fun and you get to meet amazing people across the globe and, and that is what makes it worth it also. Like you know that you're fighting for something with so many people and you're making friends along the way and, and Try to make activism fun because we're already doing such difficult work. Like we're going up against systems of oppression and injustice that's existed for decades. That's how you get rid of the climate crisis. Like we make sure that the people in power stop prioritizing profit over the people in the planet. And that's been happening for literally like decades and centuries. And that's difficult work. So, you know, try to remember it's a long journey. You're not, we're not going to do it. I mean, yes, we have, we don't really have enough time, but also um, we're not alone. And it isn't, it's one of those cheesy quotes. Um, it, it, climate activism isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. Yeah, so I'll end with that. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, that's so true. I feel like, especially activism nowadays, is so romanticized, but there's so much that goes into it. And I really like how you explain that because it's something that like a lot of people don't realize behind the screen. And then just for our last question, if you could describe your work and importance of climate activism in only three words, what would they be? Mm. Grassroots. Mm. Scientific. Justice. <laughs> That's a, those are really good. That really just outlines climate activism and activism itself yeah that was hard <laughs> but i'm i'm glad i was able to think of those three words i know you got it so fast too um 
But that's pretty much all. I want to thank you so much for being here and giving all of those like amazing responses. I learned so much and it was so nice to like learn more about climate justice and climate activism. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me like talking about mental health and the climate crisis on, in all different forms is so important because again, it's something that isn't talked about enough, even though we are already like so many of us, um, but it reaches new audiences and it's so important to talk about. So thank you. Of course. And thank you so much for everything.